0: Pet owners complain about the rising cost of veterinary prices, but what's to blame? Welcome to this special sponsored podcast, courtesy of Animal Health Digest, a premier content curator collecting and commenting on the best information around the world for people working in animal health. I'm Brendan Howard, and today we talk with Dr. Jennifer Sperry about the rising cost of veterinary care. Pet owners say they're shocked and unprepared for the bill when they visit their local veterinary hospitals, but how can they cope, and what should they know about why costs are rising? Who's Dr. Perry? She's a veterinarian and a veterinary advisor at Independence Pet Group based in Canada. Independence has a number of products, including pet ID tags and software for pet adoption agencies, but chief among them, Pet Insurance Brands, for Hartville, American Kennel Club, and the ASPCA. And these are products specifically designed to help manage the risk of costs for services at veterinary practices. So, Dr. Sperry has written an opinion piece with her perspective on five reasons other than inflation for these increasing costs. Have you thought about these reasons yet? How do your products and services affect them? And in your role in animal health, How do you manage client expectations about costs and help people see the value of products and services that animals need? Sperry's thoughts may help. So let's jump in with the first reason besides technology and inflation that Dr. Sperry wrote about. Okay. So the first one you mentioned in the article is quality and safety standards. So maybe you could just kind of explain what do you mean when you, when you're talking about
1: that? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been in touch with the veterinary profession my entire life. So from when I was a child to when I was a high school student and, um, and throughout my career in clinics and and now in insurance. And, um, I've seen a huge evolution in the in the safety standards. So, when I was uh, a co-op student in a veterinary hospital in high school, um, there was nobody in that hospital overnight. So, if a patient was hospitalized overnight, that patient was alone, and that's not something that would happen today. If we're if we are hospitalizing a patient, um, that patient's going to be monitored. So, that's one of the uh, one of the examples of, of the increased expectations on veterinarians and the, and the increased, I guess, kind of commitment to quality and a couple of other things as well. Like we, we vets are kind of known for being uh, we'll say uh, good at finding ways to save money. And we always have been. <laughs> um, and
0: they're not just doing it for themselves, no, but obviously veterinarians are doing it for their clients. Exactly. They're trying to make this. Clients,
1: veterinary clients are very, very sensitive to cost. Um, And so in order to keep it uh, within reach, um, vets are constantly looking for ways to cut costs. But one of the ways that used to be done is that we used to use a scalpel blade in the surgery, uh, throw it in the cold sterile um, you know, let it disinfect and then reuse that scalpel blade, um, or suture material, lots of other areas where, I mean, maybe it's environmentally friendly, but from an infection control, and even from a quality standpoint of the equipment or the, or the product that we're using, um, was not really the best thing to do. And um, we know that now, um, and our clients demand, uh, more quality in that area. So it really has evolved quite a bit.
0: And do you think I could see the staffing making a huge difference? You know, the cost of scalpels and some basic kind of uh, surgical PPE Mm -hmm. that people wear and maybe used to reuse and now Mm -hmm. don't, that's probably not a high cost, but your staffing thing about the fact that you need to have staffed medical people, Mm -hmm. that has to have an
1: impact. It it does. And it's such a positive impact for for me. If I buy something two weeks ago and I buy it today and the price has changed, I want to know what am I getting? If it's more, if it's 10% more, if it's 20% more, what more am I getting when I pay this extra price? And I think the biggest factor and the biggest change in vet medicine is the entry of qualified, educated, credentialed support staff. So it used to be that the, you know, that the licensed, the only licensed person in the building was the veterinarian. And everybody else was like a well-trusted, you know, uh, on-the-job trained person, but they weren't professionally trained. And now we have... Um, very highly trained veterinary technicians, and even the person working on the front desk is probably a uh, specifically trained for that reception duty um, through a college program.
0: And does that, do you think in the clinic itself, people perceive the necessity of paying those people more or do you think overall kind of it it sort of spreads out the cost of getting those credentials, the cost of getting that schooling, people bear that and they go in expecting they need a higher salary to just, to they need a higher salary to match all the money they put into their school.
1: Yeah, they, they need a higher salary to match the investment in their schooling, but also the, um, the level of responsibility they have within their job and accountability. So if you're a uh, registered veterinary technician, um, you're held to a certain standard. If you don't meet that standard, um, you could lose your you could lose your license. And so um, there is definitely a level of responsibility that's there that translates into a higher quality of care.
0: Well, that was I mean, you literally out of the five, you went from the first to the second and that leaves the th- you know, thinking about more credentialed, more highly skilled people, your third example in the story was specialists. Now, I know a lot of people, it is perfectly possible for lots of people now to go through 15 years of a pet's life and never see a mm-hmm. specialist either out of choice or the condition, the medical conditions of their animal never called for mm-hmm. it. How do you see the, the entry of more veterinary specialists and veterinary specialty work kind of permeating throughout the industry? How do you see that raising the cost of care for people that may not even touch a, a specialist? Yeah,
1: um, so number one is that a specialist will have um, more equipment more training and, um, access to more up-to-date information. So it used to be that everybody was the family vet, um, and the family vet would try to tackle everything. So if you had a client that came in and their pet had cancer, you would try to, um, deliver the best cancer care that you could. But at the end of the day, you did not have that cutting edge knowledge. Um, Now, if you have a client that comes in that says, I want to beat this for my pet, you can send them to somebody that has um, really, you know, everything, all of the tools that they need to to treat that. So they are, of course, charging for their additional knowledge, um, but they're also uh, opening um, the world up to a lot more um, equipment and a lot more drugs that may be more costly, but also may be more effective for that pet.
0: Uh, it was interesting. I saw uh, your fourth one was was alternative medicine, and I think there is a perception. So it's either deserved, it's probably maybe undeserved, but the idea of holistic and alternative medicine is less costly than Western medicine. And so it sounds like you looked at it as well. This is just an add on mm-hmm. to all the Western medicine you're seeing. I see a lot of people talking about this sometimes in like. Anti Western medicine, pro pro alternative medicine. How do you see that playing into the money situation? You see people turning away from Western medicine for alternative, or you see these things oftentimes working together.
1: Um, I I see them a lot of times working together. I see a lot of clients coming in asking for um, advice on the traditional medicine track. Um, they're looking for natural options, so. When people are looking to cut costs for and going to alternative medicine, sometimes what they're looking to do is bypass um, the cost of of consulting a professional. Um, And sometimes that happens. and, And I'm probably not fully aware because those guys do bypass me. Um, (laughs) but I get a lot of people that come in and say, what can you do for me? That's natural or traditional or holistic. So, um, they are still looking for that consult. They're still looking for the expert advice, but they have, um, they're not exclusively trying to cut costs. They, they just have a value system that really, um, really values that particular type of, of treatment.
0: Yeah. Um, it was interesting. I thought a lot of those things are kind of settled in the hospital, the quality and safety standards, the medicine's getting better at the hospital, better credentialed staff, specialists, alternative medicine. And kind of your fifth one that you laid down was the human animal bond. So tell me from your perspective, how has the growth and the development of the human animal bond uh, led to higher veterinary costs?
1: Yeah, I think that people are just willing to pursue things a lot farther um, than maybe they have in previous generations. So Of course, there are always um, there are always different peoples and different approaches to pets. But I think in the past, more people really separated the family from the pet. And so when the pet um, encountered a crisis, they had a real um, strong cutoff for what they were willing to uh, pay up to a certain point before they decided to euthanize. And I think now that point is being pushed out farther and farther because the pets are bringing, uh, being brought in closer to the family. So pets, you know, they participate in vacations, they participate in birthdays, they're on Facebook with the family. So when that pet has, you know, a real crisis, um, families are just, they want to go a lot farther and provide more for their pets.
0: Um, and naturally, because you work with a company that um provides pet insurance, you you know you see pet insurance as one of the solutions that can help with this. And you kind of led off from that human animal bond one. And I wondered about that. some people think um they're willing to spend more money. So one natural response that people give, maybe it's like the like the Dave Ramsey thing is like, well, you just save up regularly. Mm-hmm. so if you if you run your economy with the envelope method and you put cash in envelopes, whether they're digital or not, You just put money away to be used when you need Mm -hmm. it. Um, Tell me how, so that's like, you could just do that. Hey, instead of paying the monthly premium on pet insurance, well, you just put that money away. Tell me why you think pet insurance might act differently or help people either that won't do that or that that maybe doesn't answer all the problems you'd have in a typical Mm -hmm. year.
1: So I'll give you an example using my own dog. (laughs) I took my own own dog out to the cottage, uh, Canada Day long weekend. Um, and he is only nine months old. So I've only had him for seven months. Um, my insurance premium is a hundred dollars a month. So if I had saved a hundred dollars a month, um, since I've had him, I'd have $700. So I took him out to the cottage this weekend. He runs around like a fool. We've got lots of roots and like little uneven terrain. And he is a sighthound. He's a whippet. So he goes fast. Um, and he ran, he got his foot in a little hole and he, it the end of the day, he sprained his ankle, but I didn't know if he broke it or not. So um, I don't want him to suffer. So I bring him in, I don't work at a clinic anymore. So I bring him in and I say, I, I know what I want. I want him sedated so I can get really good x-rays. I want pain control. And I want you to send those x-rays off to a radiologist because if you know, uh, the wrist is the most number of bones in one little area. And if you're not an expert, and I'm not an expert <laughs> at radiology, you might miss something subtle. So, um, I send him, uh, bring him in. I, they give me everything I want. And, uh, it is about $900. Um, which, you know, looking at the line items is, is totally fair, but I have five, five saved. I've only got 700 and I'm 200 in the hole now and I have nothing left. So if he has another crisis and he will, cause he's that kind of dog, <laughs> If he has another crisis within the next year i've got almost nothing um but with my insurance um my particular insurance has a five thousand dollar limit and it's gonna renew in a year so if i blow through that whole five thousand dollars um a year from now i'm gonna have another five thousand and it still only costs me the hundred so for me it's about how long it takes to build the reservoir and how fast it can be depleted and that's the real difference between saving and insurance
0: And that's it for our great conversation with Dr. Sperry. Uh, Check the show notes for a link to her short opinion piece on this topic. And join us next time for more conversations with smart people in animal health. You can sign up for the e-newsletter at animalhealthdigest.com. And no matter where you are, what you make, or what you do, thanks for devoting your time today to thinking about one of the greatest industries around, animal health. But wait. ASPCA Pet Health Insurance is a sponsor of Animal Health Digest, and they had a few clarifications they wanted shared at the end here. First, plan premiums may vary based on location, your pet's breed and age, and the plan type and plan variables, including annual deductible, annual limit, and reimbursement rate. The premium and reimbursement example shared in this podcast interview was based on the annual deductible being met in full. Second, Dr. Sperry's policy covers eligible treatments for new and unexpected accidents and illnesses, including exam fees, prescriptions, hospitalization, surgery, referrals, and alternative medicine, prescription food, and medical devices where some limits apply. Dr. Sperry's policy limit is $5,000 annually with a $100 deductible and 10% coinsurance. Dr. Sperry had already met her deductible and had not yet exceeded her $5,000 annual limit in the example mentioned during this podcast. Third, pre pre-existing conditions are not covered. Waiting periods, annual deductible, coinsurance, Benefit limits and exclusions may apply. For all terms and conditions, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com. Preventive care coverage reimbursements are based on a schedule. Complete coverage reimbursements are based on the invoice. Products, schedules, and rates may vary and are subject to change. Discounts may vary and are subject to change. More information is available at checkout. At aspcapetinsurance.com. Last, full insurance product disclosure information can be found on the landing page at brendanhoward.podbean.com or in the show notes on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast. Have a good one.